The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. And thank God this guy's here. Scott Paul is joining us, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. The AAM is a partnership that's been established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for almost two decades, Scott and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to welcome back Scott Paul to the program. Hey, Scott, happy Friday. Thank you for joining us. But first up, I want people to know you got to go to the American Manufacturing uh, website. The AM website is AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow them there at Keep It Made in USA. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. And let me tell you why. This is what I, you may say, well, why do you push this, right? This is what I get from following Scott, from following the AAM and also from reading their website, in addition to material to ask questions of Scott today, um, I find that they track American-made products, what what is being put out there by Americans, not just for Americans, but for the world, and where you can get those uh, items so that you can support, um, you know, local American-made companies. And some of these are, are small business, some of them are large corporations, but you don't always know what's made here. And God knows we have so much stuff made in Taiwan, Mexico, uh, India, China, uh, the list goes on. In addition to that, I find out about manufacturing. I find facts on manufacturing as opposed to what you see in the blogs. And you also see what's going on in our nation's capital with regard to legislature, uh, legislation, excuse me, um, to, you know, help make manufacturing not only number one again in the world from Americans, but let's just start by bringing some of these com- you know, companies back. You know, what are companies doing? What is happening? Where are products being made? This is something you need to know, not just as a consumer, but as a voter. And that's why I give that information out uh, a lot, because it's very helpful to me as a consumer and a voter and in what I do for uh, my job. But I know it'll be helpful to you as well. Scott, thank you for uh, holding here and thank you uh, for joining us today. Uh, more than a pleasure to have you with us and back with us again. Happy Friday. Of course, happy Friday, Leslie. And thank you for that very kind introduction uh, of me and, and most importantly of uh of our, our, our folks at uh, the Alliance for American Manufacturing because we love curating those lists and finding that. And we know that uh, when people stumble upon, uh, you know, an American-made option, um, uh, that it that it's a delight uh, both to uh, to purchase something like that and also to receive it as a gift or, uh, or something that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about um, a, a lot of things. Uh, let's start off with President Biden's visit to the Intel Semiconductor Plant. Um, this is a very heavily Republican Ohio. Politico has switched this senatorial race with Tim Ryan against J.D. Vance to Democrats' favor. And, and we've been seeing for days now, 72 hours in advance, 
uh, not just with polls and with tracking, but with headlines that Ohio looks to be a swing state now for Democrats. You know, what a difference a week makes. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that saying having the president out there with a candidate, you know, can be harmful. I just don't see how. And I think his approval ratings, we've seen them tick up, you know, uh, again and again. And we've also seen two House races flip from blue to red, excuse me, red to blue, uh, Alaska and New York. Um, so I'm kind of thinking that Americans, a perception and opinion of the president aren't necessarily being re- reflected in these approval ratings. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I, look, I think I think part of that is true. And of course, I, I occupy the very narrow lane of economic policy. And I know that there's lots of other things going on, right? The, the Supreme Court decision uh, and uh, the antics of the former president that obviously colors all of this as well. But I will say this uh, about Ohio voters in particular, because Ohio, um, even though it lost a lot of manufacturing jobs, it is a state that still has a lot of blue collar workers. And, you know, as times got tougher, uh, you know, kind of the, the grievance uh, approach that, uh, that Donald Trump took was, was quite honestly very successful in, in Ohio. But at the same time, there's another approach, and, and I'm thinking of a guy named Sharon Brown, who's the senator from Ohio, who is a- He does a great job for that state. Yeah, he truly does. Democrat, and who advocates for manufacturing and has been a true blue-collar advocate. And, and that, in many ways, uh, and not every way, but in, in many ways, is, is, I think, who Tim Ryan is trying to emulate, because Sharon Brown wrote the playbook uh, uh, for how a Democrat can- successfully win uh, in in Ohio, which, you know, has, has voted, uh, you know, has voted Republican at the presidential level. And I'll even say this, because the other senator who's retiring, Rob Portman, and, and by the way, I'll say that, uh, uh, that Joe Biden heaped all sorts of praise on Rob Portman today for, for being bipartisan, for voting for the CHIPS Act, uh, the, yep. the semiconductor, and voting for the infrastructure Bill. Um, but but I remember, you know, 20, 25 years ago when Rob Portman was in the Bush administration and he was the trade representative and he was a total free trade guy. Right. He was totally free trade. So he comes back, uh, becomes senator for Ohio. And, and he did about a 180 degree switch on that because he listened to the voters. Right. He listened to what they had to say about that. And also what was important to the communities. And he has a much deeper understanding now of how trade policy impacts all of that. And, and you know, voted, I think, in lockstep with Sherrod Brown on a lot of these trade issues. Uh, you know, you know, it's weird that you mentioned him because because I honestly know three people I can think of right at the top of my head who can never remember if Portman's a Democrat or Republican simply based <laughs> on his voting record. And, and we do have some politicians like that. And that actually should be a good thing, right? I mean, we don't want, look, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. AM is nonpartisan. Um, but I don't always agree with my party 100% of the time. Americans don't agree with their party 100% of the time. And why should our elected officials agree and vote with uh, the party uh, 100% of the time? Let's talk about, speaking of voting midterms coming up, right? Um, and, um, you know, President Biden, obviously, because it's an election year, he's making visits, you know, around certain places. Um, when he visited this this semiconductor plant. This is an extremely Republican part of Ohio. 
And one of the reasons his administration chose this part of Ohio specifically was because he wanted to touch upon something that's very top of mind for voters, number one for most voters on issues, which is economics. And this was an area that he wanted to specifically be at to, to promote as evidence that his economic policies are working, right? He also went to Lincoln County near Columbus uh, to speak at Intel uh, Corp's new $20 billion semiconductor uh, manufacturing uh, facility. And this Talk to us about how his economic policies are working, not just at Intel Corp's new $20 billion semiconductor manufacturing facility, but how this is an example of some other things and the ripple effect that it could have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Leslie, this is the really cool thing. You know, Joe Biden could have chosen about a dozen states and, and maybe 15 sites to visit a semiconductor plant that's now under construction or soon under construction in the United States because of policy, because of one thing, because of good public policy that this administration has pursued. Uh, and in the case of the CHIPS Act, which provided some investment for semiconductors, uh, it got, you know, overwhelming Democratic support and a little bit of Republican support uh, in, in, the, in the Senate as well. So, you know, you could have gone to Idaho or Arizona or Texas or Georgia uh, or a lot of other places. But, but this is the really cool thing. And, and Biden mentioned this today. It's like, you know, a lot of people wrote off uh, the Rust Belt. He hates that term. I hate that term. Sherrod Brown hates that term, uh, you know, as, as being just, uh, you know, siphoning off manufacturing jobs in a lot of distressed communities. And look, for a while, there was a lot of job loss. But what we're seeing now is a manufacturing resurgence. And you're seeing that uh, in semiconductors because of policy. There are going to be dozens of new semiconductor facilities under construction in the United States. And, you know, just raise your hand if two years ago you thought that one of the big economic stories of this year was going to be massive new factories being built all over this country for a wide variety of products that we're going to all utilize in the decades ahead. It's yeah, yeah. Hold that thought. We never thought it was going to happen. We were we were in doom and gloom mode, right? And and certainly uh, there were some politicians fanning those things. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, right after this. We're talking about a lot of different things. Uh, just now, president uh, was in Ohio in a very Republican area. Licking County voted Republican sixty-three to thirty-five percent in the last presidential election. We'll be back right after this. Marshall, don't go away. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. And we are talking with uh, Scott Paul. Um, uh, Mark, uh, you had sent me a little note, and I don't know what you sent me the note uh, about, but uh, we. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, my computer, when I was scrolling, canceled you out. Canceled you. Sorry, Mark. 
Um, Scott, thank you for holding welcome back. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, is our guest. Be sure to check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow them on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Um, Scott, uh, we were talking about the president's visit to the Intel Semiconductor Plant. Uh, we were talking about the CHIPS Act projects. Uh, before we, um, you know, talk about some clean energy manufacturing announcements uh, that are coming uh, and what that's about and what that means for American workers and American manufacturing, anything else you want to say about the CHIPS Act projects or the president's visit uh, in Ohio in that very Republican district? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, obviously there's a couple of things that are important about this. One is that you know, we had lost a lot of semiconductor manufacturing. It made us very vulnerable during the pandemic and then the whipsaw effect that we saw, right? Because it was hard to get a car. It's hard to get an electronic thing. If you tried to get an Xbox for your kids, you were waiting for, for months to do it. Uh, this will make us more self-sufficient in semiconductors. And the other thing, there's a lot of people who are looking for another career right now. And, you know, manufacturing, obviously you can't do the work remotely. You got to kind of be there. But it is a rewarding career. It's well-paying. It comes with a lot of benefits. Uh, and you're going to be building the future of America. And that's kind of a cool thing because those semiconductors go into some extraordinary things. And there's going to be opportunities like this all over the country for a new generation of Americans. And again, we have not been able to say that for a very, very long time. And I think that's unquestionably a good thing if we're trying to build up the middle class and provide careers that provide well-paying jobs uh, where you can move up the, the career ladder. Uh, and, and so it's just so important uh, in, in that in so many other ways, Leslie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about some good news, especially for people like electric vehicle manufacturing um, and like the state of Ohio as well. Uh, Honda, um, we know them so as a car, our car. We know Honda, we know this as a car maker and LG Energy Solution, uh, who are a battery manufacturer. Both of these companies have announced plans for an electric vehicle battery plant in the Buckeye state of Ohio. And of course, we know whenever you hear about plants being built or opening of anything like that, this means job, right? Now, we don't know specifically where the factory is going to be built, but Honda has an auto plant in Marysville. The factory is going to be 4.4 billion dollar investment. Uh, they're going to start mass production in late 2025. Um, is it fair to say this is a big OD, a, a big deal for the state of Ohio and the Ohioans uh, that live within it? Yeah, it's absolutely a big deal because there, there's there's a lot of folks who believe that a lot of these jobs would end up, uh, you know, in the South, like Georgia, uh, you know, Texas, what have you. And it's true, there have been some some plan announcements uh, in the South, but, you know, the industrial Midwest, and I know you know this well, Leslie, you know, what was the was the kind of the heartbeat of the American automotive industry, centered in Detroit, but with uh, arteries all over uh, middle America. And so for Honda and LG to want to make an investment in Ohio, again, is a very important thing. And I will say it's not accidental. First of all, People in Ohio uh, and, and in a lot of these other states like Indiana, Michigan, where there have also been announcements, they don't know how to make things. I mean, it's kind of in their, their DNA. Uh, and the other thing, it comes back to policy. I mean, there will be incentives for consumers to buy EVs um, and, and specifically to buy EVs that are made in America with, with American-made batteries 
uh, that will offset the cost. If there's a $30,000 electric vehicle for sale uh, and you qualify from an income perspective, and, and most Americans will, uh, that's like a $7,500 tax credit on that. I'm trying to math in my head right now, I, I think, and that's just the federal yeah, I mean, uh, we have tax credit that you could get for them. So. Right. The recently passed energy and, and climate bill, you know, just, you know, help uh, make these kinds of vehicles more affordable and obviously, you know, make it, you know, more attractive to corporations like Honda and others uh, to produce them. Um, this speaks to not just the footprint environmentally, but the footprint and contribution to uh, that footprint in a better way, a green footprint uh, from uh, from these companies. So this is this is beyond a win-win. I mean, you have job creation. You have the United States playing catch up with the rest of the world. You have us helping the environment, especially for not just us, but certainly for our kids and our kids' kids. And 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 then you have, um, you know, incentives financially to make it affordable for people to, you know, be a part of this. You know what? I remember when, and I hate, hate to make sound old, but I remember when you didn't You're put on... By the way, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. You, I remember when you put, you didn't put unleaded gas in your car and you were going to start having to use unleaded gas on certain vehicles. And it really became people that had the newer cars versus the older cars. But there was a push eventually. Everybody, everybody ended up with unleaded, obviously, unless you have diesel. Right. Um, and I remember at that, that time it was, you know, people who were complaining because we don't like change, you know. And kicking and screaming, and and now it's just part of our daily life that we put unleaded gas, you know, one of the three levels of a price uh, into our vehicles. I think this is similar. Would you would you say this is this is similar? It's it's just I know it's different. I, I mean, it, this is harder because you do a plug in, but you know, I mean, in the other one, you just you know pressing a button on the pump. But you know, there we are resistant to change, and you know we got with the unleaded world, so now it's time for us to get with the EV world. That's right. I I, I couldn't agree more. And and obviously, there's been some uptake in the United States, but it but it's it's been pretty limited. Now it's scaling, uh, right? And it had been very coastal, uh, and it had been Tesla and a, and a few other companies like that, uh, and and a pretty upscale market. Um, but now. There's an EV charging network that's getting built out in all 50 states that will have plenty of options for folks. Uh, the range has been expanded on these things. So, I mean, really, who drives, honestly, other than truck drivers, and there will be EV trucks eventually that will have this range, but but who really drives more than 400 miles a day? I mean, you know, yeah. unless you're on... Even even we here in California don't uh, do not do that. You know, right. where life is a highway. Right? Yeah, that's right. And, and so vir virtually everyone is going to be able to benefit from this. And, and they'll benefit economically. And obviously, there's a huge climate benefit to this. And the only question was, where was this stuff going to get made? Because more than 50% of the batteries were made in China. Um, we were only like 0.7% of the EV market. Uh, and so to have all this investment coming in, both from firms like Honda and also GM and Ford, our homegrown firms, is and, and the new startups like Rivian, uh, is really good to see because there's going to be options um, not only to work in plants, but also for consumers to buy a wide range of vehicles from pickup trucks to SUVs to sedans uh, that are all made in America. And again, it's not an accident. It is thanks to good public 
policy that this administration has implemented that is going to build the future. Absolutely. GM, LG Energy, Michigan, they're doing it there. Samsung in Indiana, they're doing it there. Honda in Ohio. This is three states that are going to have hundreds, if not thousands, more jobs as a result of this. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of AAM. We are back. He's back with us, Scott Paul, president of the AAM and uh, the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM and follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. And that's what we want to do. Well, we talked about how uh, this administration has passed legislation or has pushed for passage of legislation. And, and this has been bipartisan. Um, you know, and, you know, first, uh, you know, you, you have chip backs, uh, you know, projects. Um, that you have clean energy manufacturing. Uh, these are all creating jobs and bringing America into the future. So, Scott, let's talk about what's happening happening in Corning. And this is now in Arizona. And I mean, this is just this just looks lovely, right? You have job creation in Ohio, job creation in Michigan, job creation in Indiana, now job creation in Arizona, right? Because Corning announced they're planning to build a new factory in Arizona, and they're going to be making fiber optic cable. And that is going to help expand high-speed internet access across the country, which some people were complaining they didn't think was infrastructure, but it certainly is. This is job creation. This is good for Arizona, and certainly uh, expanding high-speed internet is necessary. We certainly learned about that uh, during COVID. Yeah, we, we sure did. Uh, not only from people who had to do all of those virtual meetings and virtual school uh, but there's other issues here, and they've been longstanding issues that predated the pandemic. Uh, and that was for small and mid-sized businesses. It was about access to digital services and markets. Uh, you know, big firms are able to find broadband, right? And it was kind of the small and mid-sized firms, particularly those in rural or underserved areas, uh, that had a hard time. And so this helps level the playing field for them, and it also does help level the playing field for families who are in underserved communities uh, in both urban and rural areas all over the country so that their kids have access uh, to the tools that they need to be successful uh, and that they do as well. And, 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 and so there's, there's investment, you know, like there's $42 billion uh, from, the, uh, from the infrastructure bill to do this. And this is infrastructure, Leslie. This is definitely infrastructure. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's a different kind of highway, but it's a highway. <laughs> yeah, it's the digital highway uh, that, that unfortunately had a lot of dead ends. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this is this is completing it. Uh, and, and the only question about this, and I think this is the important thing, where do we get this fiber optic cable come from? Because, you know, it's manufactured all over the world. And again, thanks to a Buy America policy in the infrastructure bill, uh, Corning and other companies who want to supply this are going to need to make it in the United States of America. And so Corning has a plant already in North Carolina. They'll also scale that one up. Uh, and to add, because they'll need massive capacity to do this, they're building a factory in Arizona. And I feel like I should have one of those like digital maps behind me, also almost like the the, the electoral the electoral map yeah. that has all of these factory announcements because it truly is extraordinary. It's and, a game changer for some neighborhoods. Yeah, for, for, it's a certainly right. I mean, for people that you know lost a lot of businesses uh, during the pandemic. Let's talk about first solar. 
We're talking more more people buying solar panels. We're talking about more incentive and rebates and things like that. Uh, There's going to be 1.2 billion to expand the manufacturing footprint from first solar on solar panels. More jobs, and that's throughout the country because they they have uh, plants in more than one state. Yeah, they do. They have a plant in Ohio. They have a plant in Oregon, um, and I think they might have a plant in upstate New York. but they, and by the way, First Solar, their chief executive, Mark Widmar, he specifically cited the incentives that you're speaking of, Scott, in the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act as the reason they're heavily investing in U.S. production. So I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. This is a good thing for America and for Americans and especially for Americans that are looking for some good, solid, good paying jobs. Yeah, you're, you're right, Leslie. And the thing about it, and th- this is the thing that, that I think is so important to understand, is that the you know these investments are making a real difference. You're seeing these factory announcements all over the United States in a variety of very modern, high-tech products and services that we're going to need for generations to come. And if Republicans want to come in and try to shut this stuff down, you know, they're going to they're going to it's going to come at a great risk because, you know, one of the solar manufacturers is in Georgia. You know, another is in Texas and wind manufacturing in Texas. Uh, and so if, if they come in and they try to shut this down, they're going to be hurting people uh, in their own states uh, where the economy is the number one issue for voters, right. Democrat, Republican, independent or, do, you know, don't want to you know say they're part of a, a party. You talk about the infrastructure bill, in, including which is infrastructure, high-speed internet, and you talk about those fiber optic cables. It, it's not just it's not just um, necessary, but because of this legislation, because of the allocation of forty-two point five billion dollars in that bipartisan infrastructure investment package, there is big demand for fiber optic cable right now. And when demand goes up. The supply's got to go up to meet the demand, Economics 101. Again, that's job creation. That's more money for everybody, the workers and the companies, big or small. Yeah, you're right. And and the major installers, you know, whether it's utilities or others, and I'm just going to be perfectly honest here, they would be happy to bring this stuff in from China, okay? They would be totally happy to yeah, do They're it. not doing this out of the but kindness of their heart. They'd probably get a higher margin. They'd make more money. Uh, and they wouldn't pass those savings on to the consumer, by the way, but, but they'd pocket bigger profits. But, but Scott, if I can interrupt you just for a sec, because you speak about something and I don't want to forget. It's not just about the money, though. When you talk about China, the savings for them, not just the money, you know, that, you know, we're going to have it here at Made in America. We don't have to worry about it being stuck on a, you know, on a port somewhere and, you know, in a, you know, in a big ca- a container. But we also have regulations, rules, guidelines that China doesn't so that we're getting a better quality cable. We're getting a better quality uh, vehicle. We're getting a better quality battery. I mean, the list goes on for all of these things that these factories are going to produce. That's right. And made in a more sustainable way, because in almost every product category, uh, you know, in industry, China's uh, China's output of carbon uh, is two to three times greater, if not more, than if that product is made in the United States. And so there's- you, you know what I love? You and I, before infrastructure was passed, and even before Joe Biden was president, and Democrats and Republicans all kind of agreed, and you and I had said on and off the air, Biden's the guy that could get this done. 
and President Biden has got this done. And all of the things we were talking about that could happen, and you hear that with politicians touting legislation all the time. We are now talking about all the things that could happen actually happening. This is a bigger deal than it was when it passed even. It's a huge deal. And even though critics of Biden are complaining about the spending, um, it, five years from now, they're all going to have better access to the Internet. They, they're not going to have to pay a dime for gas uh, if they own ever again, if they own an electric vehicle. In fact, they'll get 7500 bucks back for, for buying one. There's going to be a lot of job opportunities for their kids that didn't exist before. They're going to be able to power up. Uh, you know, if they have solar panels or, or they're going to pay a lot less for electricity. And in fact, they may, you know, they, they, they may be able to sell some back to the grid. Uh, and so there are all sorts of extraordinary benefits. And by the way, they're going to have a better commute to work because we're fixing our roads and our bridges uh, and our transit. Uh, and while you're on the way to work, if it's a nice, cool day, you can open your windows and you can you on the freeway. I don't know about you. As soon as I get to the freeway, I shut my window because I just don't want to breathe in all that exhaust. I hear you. I hear you. So. So, yeah, I, I mean, they can complain about the spending now, but the, the dividends for the United States and, and for our generations are, are a lasting. This, this is a lasting legacy. And I'm sure Joe Biden, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, that's not going to be possible. But, but this is going to be as durable in so many ways as the New Deal or, or the interstate yeah. highway system. It's going to be with us for generations in this country. And we're also talking about yeah, the area. We haven't even, even touched the surface of this. Um, there's going to be job creation and, and, and factories, uh, you know, in sectors like steel and in yeah. sectors like aluminum. Um, and just at the Corning plant, that's 250 new jobs. We're looking at just right now, and these companies haven't even, you know, finished their proposals, 850,000 new jobs over the next few years connected to this piece of legislation. That's a lot of jobs. Yeah, it's a lot of jobs. And I realize we're in a, in a transition in a job market right now. But these are jobs that are well-paying. And at the end of the day, you get that job satisfaction of saying, I'm making something that's making a difference in this world or for my community. And the feeling and the satisfaction of that, I think, can be something extraordinary. And that's not an opportunity that young people have had for the last 20 or 30 we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to hit upon three different things so we can get everything. We had a little bit of a late start, but I want to get it done and we will do it. I'm Leslie Marshall, Scott Paul, president of the AAM as our guest. We'll be back with him. We'll be back with you right after this. Don't go away. We have a lot to talk about. We're talking with Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Please check them out online at their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow them at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul uh, AAM. Um, before we move on to my last two questions, I want to talk about um, back in February when you submitted official comments to the National Telecommunications and Information Administration at the Commerce Department. And you were talking about the Biden administration uh, not falling for uh, some nonsense 
Uh, you said, quote, suggesting the current lack of U.S. production capacity is reason enough to jettison the application of the entire Buy America policy or waive entire categories of products is short-sighted, dangerous, and in conflict with the requirements imposed by Congress and the expectations of the American taxpayer. Congress has provided ample tools and flexibility to establish a workable Buy America policy that recognizes today's U.S. production capacity while also maintaining market incentives that will spur future manufacturing investments that strengthen the U.S. industrial base supply chains and workforce. Speak to that now versus back in February. Yeah, wow, you did that fast, Leslie. Congratulations, <laughs> that was really- I wanna get everything in. You made regulation sound interesting. Um, so so the, the, fundamentally it's this, and I, and, and I said a little bit of this before, but you know, the question is always, where's this stuff gonna come from now that we have the money to do this? And the, the, the construction companies, the contractors or, or the utilities, they're happy to get this stuff from China. Again, because they can get it cheap, they can get it now, uh, they'll make more money and they won't pass that along to consumers, but, uh, but they'll, they'll fatten their pockets. And the, the importance of the Buy America provisions and what I was talking about is like, you have to be strong on this policy because it will drive investment back into this country and it may take a tick or two longer to get it scaled up. Uh, but it'll be worth it because we'll have the product at the end of the day. We'll have the services at the end of the day, and we'll have those manufacturing jobs at the end of the day. But you you need that that Buy America uh, to make it happen. And and I guarantee that Corning would not have established their factory in Arizona uh, if it weren't for this Buy America provision. So that's why this is so important. It is definitely driving investment. Uh, into the United States where uh, it might not otherwise have happened. Also. Um, I want to talk about the jobs report. Um, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, um, showed that manufacturing's job creation streak has continued this past month in August. Uh, the sector in manufacturing specifically added 22,000 jobs. Um, and this is what you said, I'm sure you remember, quote, this will be the best Labor Day weekend for factory workers that we have seen in a long, long time. New factory announcements and steady job growth are welcome developments for a sector that took massive hits due to the rapid rise of Chinese imports in the 2000s, the Great Recession, and the COVID-19 pandemic. A couple of things. Two things specifically. One, these gains that we're seeing, do you feel they're going to continue going forward in the manufacturing sector specifically? And two, do you also feel, because I did, that unions were more recognized than ever this Labor Day and given credit for that very holiday? Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll take that question first because, I mean, President Biden was at a steelworkers Labor Day picnic in Western Pennsylvania, and, and, and which is not surprising for a political figure to do, I guess. But it's the third time he's been back to Pittsburgh for Labor Day. And, and if you saw the pictures, and I'm sure you did, he looked like he was actually having a good time. Yes. <laughs> that it wasn't just an event he had to show up for. And a lot of these folks were my friends who were at this picnic. And, and so just seeing the joy of having him spend it with blue collar families. He's um, a blue collar guy. I mean, he yeah. comes from Scranton. He is a blue collar. He comes from a blue collar family, even though he has a lot of money. He's president of the United States. He's been in politics for years yeah. and he's, he's worked in the yeah. white collar world. He's a very blue collar guy. And I think that's what resonates with people in so, these states and why we're seeing some of these numbers like in Ohio, because they realize the benefit of having a blue collar guy, a blue collar administration uh, controlling things. Yeah. 
So absolutely that the labor movement, I think, is rising, even though there are a lot of obstacles because of right to work laws uh, or other obstacles to organizing. Um, I do think that, uh, that labor is as well positioned as it has been for a long time to contribute to the betterment of society. That means not only workers in unions, but all of us. And I think that's very important. And then to, 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 to focus more specifically on the manufacturing jobs, uh, I do think that we'll see the trend of manufacturing job uh, growth continue. All the indications are that these, I mean, you've seen all these factory announcements. There haven't been any manufacturing jobs that have come out of that yet because the factories are being built. Once they're built, they're going to be filled with thousands of workers. And so you're going to see massive new, you know, new hiring over the next couple of years for semiconductors and electric vehicles and all of this. And there certainly will be a transition because obviously as EVs scale up, it does mean that the combustion engine factories are going to get repurposed. Uh, and so we have to be very sensitive about how that is done. But I am optimistic that if we keep these policies in place and we also maintain a very tough trade policy stance where we're demanding that level playing field, and I think Biden has also done a good job of that, um, I do see these manufacturing job gains. And I know I'm going to be a little bit nerdy here for just one second, but but this is important because manufacturing has never regained all the jobs it lost in a recession until this one, until this one. And so mm -hmm. this is the first recession, you know, that we had at the beginning of the pandemic where manufacturing has not only recovered all of those jobs that were lost, uh, but it's now gaining them uh, and it's gradually clawing back back jobs uh, that were shed during the Great Recession, which was an even bigger trough. Uh, and so if you look at the trend line, uh, it's, a, it's a steady climb uh, of manufacturing jobs, which I think is good. And again, it's good for the industrial heartland, but it's good for every state that has a manufacturing base. We were talking about American-made vehicles. We were talking about the EV, you know, electric vehicle batteries. Um, you know, there's a long road ahead, right, for these American-made uh, vehicles. Um, a lot has been, you know, made and discussed, and obviously we're seeing the fruits of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, how it, you know, represents America's biggest climate investment ever. Uh, when you read between the lines of this legislation, I mean, they tackle everything from taxes to health care, uh, $740 billion in this law. Um, and one of one of the things that, you know, includes is um, a more than decade old EV uh, tax credit. I want to talk about that um, because I don't think a lot of people knew that there was a tax that, you know, that this is something that's been worked on for for many, many years. And it was just sitting there kind of, you yeah. know, I mean, it was one, one of the low hanging fruits that was added to this legislation. That's right. Yeah, there has been an electric vehicle tax credit in place. Um, since the beginning of the Obama administration, basically, but it had a lot of strings attached, including a limited number of tax credits available. So, uh, um, and each country was, or each company was a lot of them. So as soon as Tesla or GM ran out of them, they couldn't offer tax credits to any other consumers. 
So that and some people felt that wasn't enough, and that's why they added four thousand dollars on top of that in this legislation, right? That's right. And so they've lifted that cap, and the the tax credit. There's going to be a little more strings attached in terms of where the vehicle is made, and I think that's important to get the full credit. The vehicle is going to have to be made in the United States with predominantly American parts. I was going to ask you about that because because some people who don't read this, and I have, and I know you know. You know, because some people might say, well, yeah, they can make it. But what about the tires and the engine and everything? There is a percentage of the vehicle that has to be made in the USA. Correct. That's that's right. And the, the Treasury Department will issue guidance on that. But the batteries, the critical minerals. And so it may take a year or so for the companies to get their supply chains aligned in order to do that. But they're going to be eager to do it because it's a great incentive to offer consumers and it won't be capped again for, um, I'm trying to remember the date, it's either eight or 10 years. And so there'll be a big window to buy these EVs uh, at a discount um, for, for most American families, except for the, except for the very wealthy. Um, and so I think that's important to get the scale up uh, going, uh, particularly as more models come online that Ford, GM and others are gonna try to sell at a price point that's a little more affordable than a Tesla is for, for most families now. Last minute, you can just say what you want or you can say, uh, speak to whether this uh, th- this growth in production here is yanking pro- uh, factories out of China. Yeah, I, I really do think it is. And, and what I wanted, the other data point in addition to the jobs, and I think this is remarkable, over the last year, New construction of facilities has grown by 10%. Um, and obviously there was a pandemic kind of lull in all of that. But in manufacturing year over year, there's a 116% growth in new construction of factories, 116%. So what we're seeing is real. And even if the, the MAGA crowd or the deniers don't want to give Biden credit for anything, uh, the facts don't lie. And and Joe Biden has been a decidedly pro-blue collar, pro-American manufacturing president whose policies are making a real difference and will continue to do so uh, unless Republicans try to reverse that. Perfect. And done well within the time. <laughs> Scott Paul is president of the AAM. And the Alliance for American Manufacturing website has a plethora of information. Check it out. AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow them at Keep It Made in USA. We want that. And follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. And everybody watching and listening to the program, you too. Oh, and do we forget somebody? Marky Mark Romaldi, our executive producer. You have a good weekend as well. Uh, I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back, same bat time, same bat channel next week. And happy Patriots Day. And have a great time, my homies in Boston at the Boston Marathon. Oh, and God rest Queen Elizabeth's soul. May she rest in